0: Amen. Amen. Thank you so much again for being here this morning. Um, It is not just a normal set of New Year's resolutions, is it? It's a new decade. The bar has been raised. Uh, Earlier in this year, I lost some weight. I started missing it. Started wondering what it was up to, who else it was seeing. So I just chased after it. I'm here today to proudly say I found every bit of it. <clears throat> plus a couple extra pounds that I didn't have, really haven't met before, but um, they're with me now. And they were all the familiar places. Found some at Bojangles. Um, found a lot in um, pie pans this holiday season. It was hiding away, tucked underneath crust. But I found it. I didn't give up. Um, so I'm just here, just ready to say that uh, my New Year's resolution is not to lose it again. I'm all about maintaining and building for this next decade that is ahead, so <clears throat> whatever your resolutions are, I pray that uh, I pray that you find success in them. Um, it, it's a little bit uh, it's a little bit humbling though, honestly. Uh, this past week, I really wasn't thinking um, really wasn't thinking about just this being uh, the last Sunday of this year, uh, but then I started thinking about that, and then I started thinking about wow, this is this is not just kind of 2019 to the next year like this. This closes out a decade, like 10 whole years. And uh, so I had that moment. I was like, man, what do you, like, what do you preach on uh, to kind of be fitting for that, to kind of honor that? How, how do you look back at a longer set of time and then look maybe ahead at a longer set of time? Um, and as I, as I prayed through it, um, really uh, the passage that I, I believe that God wanted us to return to um, is, is within this study that we've been walking through in the Gospel of John. Um, and, and in going back to it, I found what I have been finding what seems like every single week that we've been in the Gospel of John, which is every time we open this book, every time that we read um, not just the words of Christ, but what God inspired John to write about him, not, in a, not because it's built as a timeline, but it's built as a portrait, a painting, and a work of art about who Jesus really is and, and, and what he came to do. It, it's it's like the circumstances of life um, I, for me personally, and then from many of my conversations with you, from from you as well, it seems like the circumstances of life need to hear exactly what um, the Gospel of John is there to say for that day. And 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 quite frankly, th- this is this is no different. This is exactly where um, we come to in this study of the Gospel of John, uh, and and it happens to be on a Sunday where we're. Um, at this time of looking back and looking ahead, and, and this in many ways serves that so well. Um, so I'm really excited about what we're going to hear in the Gospel of John this morning. We're going back into chapter 10. Uh, we are coming out of the time where Jesus had, had spoke uh, in a little bit of an illustration format to the people that were there listening about who he was and what he was there to do. Remember, there were, there were two of the I am statements in that section, the I am the good shepherd and I am the door. Um, we're coming out of that. He, he, he recaps it just a hair, but in a very unique, specific, um, functional way, um, but, but does so much more. Um, this is leading into the, the death and the, the rising of Lazarus. Um, so what we see in this one section um, is just an absolute gift, I believe, for today for us. Um, it, it, it has some really good wisdom, some good instruction. Uh, it's got some great encouragement to us um, from the words of Jesus. So we're going to jump in <clears throat> to John chapter 10. This morning, and, and I'm going to read verses 22 through 24, and and I'm going to stop there because there's this thing that's consistent through the Bible, and I love, I love consistency in the Word of God because it just shows that it's God working, um, it, it shows the reliability of who, um, not just who God as creator is, but who Jesus is that came to this earth um, in our place. He lived the life that we were Supposed to live, but even in not being able to live that life, he died the death that we were supposed to owe. Um, G, it's G, the gospel is Jesus in our place. Um, and, and it's the consistency of God the Father and to the life of Jesus, but then also to the Holy Spirit that lives in us as believers when we're saved. So when we see consistency, um, we don't just see reliability. We see something that we can anchor our lives into. and We can look for familiarity in, and, and look for purpose in. Specifically this morning, what I'm talking about is this thing um, that some people call pictorial speaking. Uh, many times if you read, especially in the Old Testament, you see it. You see Jesus do this a lot. It's when um, God positions people in a specific environment um, for specific reasons that go along with the word that he is, is wanting to give them. It's, it's when you see the, the, the Israelites many times in the Old Testament arrive at a place and, and when they stop, they realize they're at a historically significant place in light of something God did. So, based on what God is saying, God is saying, consider what I've done, who I am, and what I'm telling you now, and its reliability. And, and, and it's just this, this environmental lesson. It, it kind of activates all of our senses. It's, it's not just what we hear, it's not just what we see, it's both. And, and we talked about that um, the last time we were in the Gospel of John, and you're going to start to see that come up more often. Um, it's, it's combining what we hear. God's Word, but also what we see, what we experience, and how God uses both of those to bring a deeper understanding into our life. So we're going to read these three verses, and I'm going to talk to you about what this this pictorial speaking moment looks like, because it really gives us an appreciation for what's going on and what Jesus says. It says, then the festival of dedication took place in Jerusalem, and it was winter. Jesus was walking in the temple in Solomon's colonnade the Jews surrounded him and asked, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Now, what's the environment like? Well, first of all, this this festival of dedication, um, you probably know this more under the name Hanukkah. Um, Most of the Jewish festivals that Jesus participates in. And and that's one of the welcoming parts of the ministry of Jesus into Jewish culture, even today. Um, Jesus didn't show up to say, hey, you have a bad, broken religion. Um, He participated in all these festivals because the festivals represented um, the work that he had already been a part of. So it's really his participation in festivals was an invitation to the Jewish culture to, to understand that he's there to fulfill the law, to complete it, to offer... Um, uh, an understanding of what God was doing in addition and next from that. This festival is different. Most of their festivals, like the the festival that, that involved Passover, was the Jewish people looking back at something God had done and celebrating past events. Now, they got hope from it. They understood an aspect of who God was from it, but it was really about celebrating past events. Hanukkah was about celebrating what they were anticipating for the future. In 164 BC, um, Judas Maccabeus, through basically like guerrilla warfare tactics, was part of a movement that regained control of the temple. Um, what had happened, the Syrian forces that came in before that um, did what um, most Bible scholars refer to as uh, the abomination of desolation. Uh, it's, it's something that was predicted in the book of Daniel that, that happened and, and what happened was this. When the forces came in and they took control of the temple, they went into the inner temple and at the altar, they, they built on the altar a statue to Zeus. So, the, so, so they went into where the, the glory of God was supposed to be and, and in the face of that, put on top of what represented God's work, a God that they created, a God that was invented, a God that they gave worship to. So it was just directly in the face of, To God's worship because that's where they began to worship him. And in the worship of Zeus, on that altar, they brought in tons of pigs and sacrificed them. Pigs. Sacrificed them on the altar so blood was just running over the altar of God. So if you think about what the Jewish culture understood from the law of God, that that interaction with a pig was um, something that made you unclean to then sacrifice those specific animals on the altar of God and have that as part of worship in there was just horrific. This celebration was in recognition of this uh, political, this dominating victory they had where they, they, they regained some control. And it was out of that that they really began to celebrate and look forward to the kind of political control that they hoped to gain through deliverance of the Messiah. So we understand, and we've talked about that before, I'm sure you know, that that what they were thinking was coming in Messiah was not at all who God sent. They were after political control, God was after their souls, eternally. So here Jesus is in, in the middle of this time of this cultural festival that celebrated control that they took by force. He's he's walking in a place in the temple, Solomon's Colonnade. This was was a key place in the temple. This was where many people that were sick and in need would enter into the temple. Also, um, because of where this was, they had these huge columns that were built. And this being wintertime, you had a lot of just really cold, cutting wind that would just be whipping around in this area. So Jesus was walking in an area that blocked much of that wind. Now, the season of year, the cold wind, um, was not just an environmental condition, but it also, as we read this, um, we can see this as it, as it kind of represents the, the cold-heartedness of the people that were there attacking Jesus with their words and ready to attack him violently even. So when you think about this, this, this pictorial speaking, preaching, teaching moment, here Jesus is, he, he's facing the temple. Solomon's colonnade was directly eye to eye with the temple. So Jesus was basically staring into the face of all that the people had experienced with God in worship and worship in his presence in so many ways. He stood in a place where people came to in need. And he's, he's asked to make a proclamation of, are you the one that God has sent? Because the one that they were waiting on in their minds, was one that was there to take control by force, and that's, in fact, really not at all who Jesus was. So in this moment, as Jesus stood there with all of that happening, he has a captive audience. He's protected, seemingly, by some of the elements, but it's cold enough where he stands. And to that point, they say, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? It's actually probably better translated, how long are you going to keep frustrating us? It it, it may surprise you, or it may not surprise you, that um, when people are struggling with um, trying to figure out what God is doing, that oftentimes leads them to moments where they are, in fact, um, very frustrated with God. And that's much of the mood that was in that area. So Jesus responds. Now, multiple times in the Gospel of John, Jesus makes clear statements. He just basically made an illustrative statement where he said essentially that um, in what we've already read. But multiple times through the Gospel of John, Jesus makes no mistake. Um, He makes it very clear that he, he and God, he and the Father are one. Why is that so significant? Because it, it, it makes him ultimately, in the people's eyes, guilty, guilty of blasphemy. Blasphemy being that you have made a statement that is directly in, in, in the face and wrong when it comes to God. And it is specifically of, against God. Jesus, we believe as Christians, the gospel, Jesus in our place, that he lived a life that we couldn't live. In other words, he lived a sinless life to be able to then die the death representatively of us. See, if Jesus lies one time, if he exaggerates in an untrue way one time he's lied, that that means that is one sin that is on his account, and he cannot be the sinless lamb that goes to the cross for us. His death is just simply a death. So when Jesus makes these bold statements, he makes them as a gift of grace to us, So that when we say we believe in Jesus, then what he includes in his statements must all be true. Or none of it is. So as he makes the statement, the people are leaning in. They're listening. They're wanting a response. He says, I did tell you, and you don't believe, Jesus answered them, that the works that I do in my Father's name testify about me. In other words, um, all the signs, all the things that Jesus was doing were fulfillments of what had been prophesied in the Old Testament. He said, that the things that I'm doing are simply done to prove to you that I, that I in fact, am who God sent. It, you know, it, it is amazing uh, the patience that God really has with us, isn't it? Um, because you ever been in a place in life to where you realize um, that you don't have to do something anymore? Um, like, for instance, um, your kids reach a certain age and they come up to you and go, I'm, hu- I'm hungry. And you look at them, you're like, hang on a second, legs, arms, you can move a chair, you can reach your own Pop-Tart box. <laughs> I, in the past couple years, have reached a point where my oldest son can fix, on his own, macaroni and cheese may not sound like a big deal to you, but if you've ever had a kid of yours be able to fix macaroni and cheese, all of a sudden the pressure of just feeding these kids are off of you. You're like, you know what? I don't have to move anymore. To the glory of God, fix macaroni and cheese. Go seek ye your craft, literally. <laughs> Maybe at work you, you get a promotion and, and you're still customarily kind of doing the things that you've already done. And all of a sudden you look around you and you're like, hang on a second, I, I'm, I'm in charge of people that, that will do this for me. Like that's that's my right as as the position I hold. And you're like, I don't I don't have to do this anymore. And and for some of us, when when you're humble, you're like, ah, you know, I feel bad just just giving an order like that. But then for some of us, we're we're kind of empowered. We're like, this is fun. I want to kind of try this out for a little while. Well, in in many ways, as as a perfect, holy, creative God, um, he he doesn't have to remain patient with us. But in love, he does. Because it's it's not just about the act that's being done by Jesus. It's this overpour of love where God says, patiently, I want you to see this, and I want you to hear this, so that you'll understand on a deeper level. And that your faith will grow. And that you'll be able to walk with me closer. Jesus says, that's why I've done everything. He says, but you don't believe because... You are not of my sheep. Now, here's where it is going to sound a little like what we've read in in past weeks. He said, but um, you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Um, he, he's building on this idea of hearing the word of God and seeing what's happening in front of you to have a deeper understanding. Now, um, in this, in, in this, again, we, we talk about the patience and we talk about the love of God. Um, while this crowd is in front of Jesus, hating him so passionately, it, it, it's, it's as if over, over that noise... He's not just telling him, telling the people, here's who you're not. He's also crying out over that for those of us that believe, here's who you are. And there's three things in here um, that Jesus says that we are as believers in Christ, as saved people that are so important to have as our core identity. Number one, we are called. He says that they know my voice. Um, Salvation doesn't happen because I bump into God one day. It, It starts with his calling me. Um, it, it's this amazing thing about salvation that, that every single part of it, God wants to build together so that he knows um, that, that he, can, he can build the assurance in us that salvation isn't what I created for myself because if I created myself, I could easily lose it. I could you I could out of it. But it starts with his voice calling me. And as he calls me, I'm able to respond. As Jesus says specifically, I don't just call you, I know you. The calling of God is anchors into this really personal idea that God doesn't just call me. He doesn't just give me a set of instructions or something to respond to. It's, it's, it's out of his heart knowing me, knowing every need I have, knowing, knowing every inadequacy I see in myself, all the issues that I carry in life. He knows me personally. It's, it's Being called means that we are known. It also, as saved people, we aren't just called, we're, we're blessed. Jesus says that, that I give you eternal life. Now, eternal life is, is mistakenly understood if we see eternal life as only what happens after we die. Eternal life, as the New Testament is clear, is, it's what begins when we are saved, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That begins our eternal life. Eternity is just simply living with God, worshiping Him, living in the goodness that He intended, and He wants that to begin now. We won't be able to get all the way there until we're in His presence, but He doesn't, he, he doesn't withhold anything from us while we live for Him here either because He's put His own presence in us to lead us and guide us. It's just simply unseen. Finally, he says this about us, that we are secure. Now, <clears throat> to illustrate this point, Stephen, if you wouldn't mind coming up here for just a second. and Ryan, would you help me out up on stage for just a minute? Um, now, um, for this illustration, um, I'm going to play the part of Jesus. Uh, Ryan is going to play the part of God, and Stephen is going to play the part of Stephen. Um, this, is, this should go well for you. The early church did not struggle um, seemingly because there, there's, there just doesn't seem to be evidence of it. Um, the, we, we find a, a drastic lack of evidence that the early church struggled with eternal security, knowing that they belonged to God. The words of Jesus are very clear. Um, he talks in John about how God has given has given his sheep to him, to care for, um, to know, to be a part of salvation in, that, that Jesus is the shepherd that governs that, that the Father is the one that's in ultimate control. So as he says, if, if Stephen's hand here, as he puts his hands together, um, if, this, if this represents um, Stephen's soul, his salvation, his relationship with Jesus Christ, Jesus says that, that no one can, can take you out of my hand, that it is my hands that created this, the creative work of salvation, but, but it is also my hands that hold you in that relationship. Now, being held in a relationship doesn't mean that this passage denies that there is even a spiritual level of tug of war in our life. It just simply means that it's important to know where the pull comes from and who is always pulling us back. Jesus says in his identity as, as not just God walking on earth, but that he and the Father one. Jesus says that, that I am the one that is doing this, so nobody takes you out of my hand. And then it is also the Father God that holds you as well. So, so as believers, as believers, we are held in our salvation, in our relationship with God, in the hands of Jesus, in the hands of God the Father. That doesn't mean that, that, that the circumstances of life, that, that Satan, our enemy, will not try to pull us away but it means that it is the hands of creator, all-powerful God, and Savior Jesus Christ that pull us back and hold us. That while a tug may happen, the hands don't slip out. Thank you guys for, for doing that for us. That, that's, that's the identity, that's the reality that Jesus says of who we are in him. And he's saying this, I'm, I'm telling you, as a grace gift, as he is absolutely being hated on in this tangible, illustrative teaching environment that he's in i told you that they didn't often struggle there's no evidence that they really struggled sincerely with um with them belonging to god and i think maybe that much of that comes from this this idea that they also didn't struggle with what it meant to follow jesus that there was a real sincere cost to it that you couldn't just pursue your all your own interests and as a byproduct, also always follow Jesus too. That there was a real thing about following him. And that was a concrete idea that they devoted their life to. Um, I tell you that they didn't often struggle with it. But I got to confess to you that I have. Um, there's been times in my life when, when in fact night after night after night, I've laid in a bed and, and, and in fear and in confusion, just, just prayed and said, God, if I've gotten all this wrong, Save me now. Out of fear, just knowing God and wondering, am I am, am I lost? Am I saved? I belong to you. And it was because I, I was I was immature in my understanding of really what the gospel is and and who really was holding me. And it and and I didn't just snap out of it. I had to grow out of it. I had to come to a place where I was finally willing to talk about it. And and I want to tell you if if you struggle with just your own confidence that your relationship with God is real and it exists, um, bringing that up in conversation, sitting down and talking about that, it doesn't mean that you're not intelligent. It just simply means that that's, that's the point that you're able to now grow in and gain confidence in. Maybe you've never wondered and struggled with that. Maybe I'm the only one. But the reality does exist. It's just not where God wants us to stay. For him to hold us means he wants to comfort us. He wants to resource us to not, not struggle in that. And he wants us to walk faithfully um, with him. Now, at this point, the crowd is, is now at the crescendo of anger. It says in verse 31, Again, the Jews picked up rocks to stone him. It says again, now, in John chapter 5, we saw this happen the first time when Jesus dared to heal someone that was sick, especially when he would do stuff like that on the Sabbath day. And, and we talked about why that was so significant because Jesus said that, that, that the Sabbath is for people, it's not for God, and that Jesus is simply still doing the work that his father was already doing. I mean, they're that angry. There's a couple ways that stoning was, stonings would happen. If it, was a, um, if it was a death sentence, like there was, there was a court procedure to it, then somebody would be thrown down into a pit. There would be one huge boulder that they would either push off or try to somehow propel into the pit so that it would land on the person. Um, the, honestly, the, the, the purpose of that was, the goal of that, was that that huge weight would do the crushing. And if there was still life in that person, if it didn't land squarely on enough vital organs to kill them right away, then they would pick up any size rocks that they could hold in their hands and throw them down at a, a still target. There was also what we would probably call the, the, the lynch-type stonings, the, the, the fits of anger where people just got so riled up in anger like these would, they would just start to look around and just find rocks just ready. I mean, arms pulled back, face tense ready to just throw and hit Jesus with a rock hard enough to stun him, to drop him down, and that it would just rain on top of him. Now, it sounds horrific, but if we're all honest, we've all been mad enough to throw something at somebody. Yours might have been a stapler at work. It might have been a chicken leg at the table. We've all been mad enough to throw something at somebody. Some genius along the way said, you know what? Uh, they, they were so angry, they just they, they wanted to just change the culture. They said, let's just make a child's game out of it. It's called dodgeball. The game is you win if you don't get hit. The outside wins when you hit. Now, I'm not telling you I'm against dodgeball. I'm not one of those dudes. I think dodgeball is important, important for our culture. It teaches kids a lot of lesson. You better look up when I talk to you. Um, you, you better be on the move or you're going to get hit. And uh, ultimately, sometimes... Um, People need to know that they're a target. Okay? So, I mean, it's just, it's, 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 it's got some lessons in it. So, not against dodgeball, but, but it's a far cry from what we're, what we're reading about right here. Jesus replied, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these works are you stoning me? Interesting. I, I do want to say this before I continue. <clears throat> Um, why is it so important that that God Himself came to Earth to live as Jesus, um, and 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 experience life as he goes to the cross? If you remember what I was just showing you up here, as as representatively, my hands and Ryan, Ryan's hands held Stephen. It's not just Creator God, distant and and far off from us, that that guards us. It's also God that lived in this world that understands what it's like when people throw rocks at you. So when you feel attacked and you feel like you're under the barrage of people, you feel like people are just that angry with you and you look at faces it's not just that you have this heavenly father looking after you and resourcing you. You have someone holding you. You have God's hands holding you. The hands that understand and the mind that knows what it looks like to have those faces stare at him as well. Jesus asked an interesting question. He said, I've done many works. Which one are you actually so angry at me about? And here's their answer. We aren't stoning you for a good work, the Jews answered, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. See, here's the thing. They they weren't denying denying that what Jesus said did was good, what they were showing us is, 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 is they could recognize something good. They could recognize that something seemed to match who God was and what God said. But they were, they were having a huge issue with when they compared that experience to what they heard Jesus say. They perceived that there was this huge gap between who Jesus said he was and, and what he was actually doing. And in that gap, they found incredible anger and frustration. And in your life and in mine, when, when, when we find a huge gap between what we experience and what we believe and what we hope for and what we think ought to be and what the truth of God's word says, we often find a gap where we get angry and frustrated. Likewise, when we hear the truth of what God's Word says and what, what, what should be, and, and, and we experience something different, in the gap we find a breeding ground of anger and frustration. It's why many people will leave churches when they're hurt so badly by the people that were not supposed to act like that because Jesus said what the church was supposed to be. And when it wasn't, that gap, that, that, that space, that void in the middle was a breeding ground of anger and frustration. It's why in relationships... When we know what God's word says about marriage, but we experience something very different. When we know what God's word says about faithfulness between two people, whether it's marriage or just friendship, and we experience something else. The gap in between breeds in our hearts and in our souls anger and frustration. See, what Jesus was trying to move them towards, even though the gap seemed huge, the leap was big, He's trying, and we're getting ready to see how he starts to try to, try to, try to nudge them there and try to help them get there, is, is that he, in his truth, wants to take the, the, the experiences and help us to really truly see them and, and understand what really happened so that when Jesus brings those two together, he can close that gap and close out the anger and the frustration in our life and lead us to what we're really looking for in our souls, which is, which is peace and understanding. And sometimes it seems like a big leap, doesn't it? But but, but I want you to consider this. Faith in Jesus is a big leap. Uh, You you hear me preach. If you've ever heard me preach, I'm as clear as I can possibly be on what the gospel says. It is through faith in Jesus Christ that we are saved. But consider somebody who just doesn't believe yet that, that, that that a person lived on this earth perfectly, died, and then came back to life again. That's a leap. Anything that you believe in takes faith. And faith in Jesus is its own leap. But what God wants to move us to is seeing those gaps in our lives close. So as as we walk in faith, what seemed like such a leap at one time begins to be the deeper understanding that we have as we grow in Him. So here's, here's the argument. You said something that's not true, and it's what angers us. Now, this was not Jesus' time to die yet, um, so a couple things are going to happen. Jesus is getting ready to say something to try to get them thinking. Uh, what he says next, I don't believe, was supposed to resolve all the issues. I believe that um, based on what he says, it was it was to get them thinking a little bit, maybe even just one person in the crowd of angry people just to get them thinking, because many times... It does seem in my life that, that, that when I read God's word and, and when, I, when I experience a circumstance that seems to be what he's doing, it, it, oftentimes there's that one thing, that one verse, that one comment, that one thought that just seems to be purposed to open my mind a little bit to get me thinking about what he would want me to think about. Jesus answered them, Isn't it written in your law, I said you are God's. Now, he's referring back to Psalms, I believe it's Psalm 86, uh, when it says this. Now, at this point in Jewish culture, they considered the book of Psalms, not just a list of worship songs, but they considered the book of Psalms, the writing of David and other people that was inspired by God, they considered this God's word. This was as good as law. So whatever it said in Psalm, they quoted it it, and it was true in their souls. It was true for their life. Now, in this verse... <clears throat> what God is saying with the message that's being communicated is, is that people that received the word of God, received the truth of God, were in some way blessed. The phrasing that was used, that they were, they were like gods, little g gods, not God the Father. They were not equal in any way with him. But they were privileged, they were blessed in some way to have received the truth of God. Now, there's a few interpretations of that, three basic ones. It was argued about which one was accurate then. It's still argued about which one is accurate now. There are some things that that point us to which one um, most people believe is true. But but Jesus wasn't trying to prove exactly what Scripture meant. He was trying to just open their minds. And this is his point. He said, this is what it says in Psalm. and, and, And you as people, even angry as you are, you will quote this verse. He says, so in accepting what that verse says, consider this. If he called those whom the Lord of God Came to God's, and the Scripture cannot be broken. Do you say you are blaspheming to the fo- to the one the Father set apart and sent into the world? Because I said I am the Son of God. This is what Jesus is saying. He's like, listen, if, if you're taking that one verse and you're quoting it as truth, and 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 that verse says that there are people that are that are that are privileged to have the truth of God. He said, are you saying that that I'm ultimately guilty and I deserve death because? as the one that God is sending, the one you're saying you're looking for. You're wanting me to say that I'm the Messiah because I dare say I'm the son of God, that I'm guilty of, I'm deserving of death. He's just trying to get them to pause for a moment and think. Then he says this, if I'm not doing my father's works, don't believe me. But if I am doing them and you don't believe me, believe the works. This way you will know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Then they were trying again to seize him, but he eluded their grasp. There's a phrase in there that you will know and understand. In the original language, know was referring to things from the past. Understand was referring intense, to things in the present and future. Now he says this to the people. He said, listen, if you don't believe in me, if you're having a struggle, if you're having trouble believing in the words that I'm saying, But you do acknowledge that the things I'm doing seem to be coming from God. Then just start there. Believe there. And then continue to watch me, the one that is doing the works. Continue to listen and allow God to bring you to a deeper understanding of what's being said and what's being heard. Remember, connecting what you're seeing and what you're hearing. Which is a beautiful thought. You know why? Because again, it shows the patience. And the grace of God in allowing us, those of us in the room who are not all the way there yet, to know that God simply calls us and says, start at your anchor point. Do you ever, um, you ever lose stuff at your house? Like you're frantically looking for stuff? Now, if you're, if you're all together, you always know where your keys, wallet, and phone are. Um, I'm not talking about you. In fact, today I probably won't even speak to you. Uh, Because you frustrate me. Um, I often am looking for something that I own. I don't know where it is. But you know, sometimes um, it's not that I just have to keep finding new places to look. Um, I'm often guilty of finding it somewhere that I've already looked. You ever ever been there? You you get really frustrated when you're like, oh, I just looked there three times. But you just move one other thing and found your keys, your phone, your wallet, your something. Interestingly, um, the way Jesus presents this carries a little bit of that familiarity. Sometimes you're at a point in life to where you just can't seem to wrap your head around what's coming next. The, The unknown is just too big of a question mark or too many question marks, and you just can't quite figure it out. And you just desperately, you're like me, you just desperately just want to know what's next. Give me the answer. When in fact, we haven't found everything from the places God's already brought us to. There's still more to see. Does that make sense? I, I know it makes sense to me in my mind, but I'm not that smart. You're smarter than me, so if it doesn't, you can shake your head, no, it won't offend me. But, but that's, I believe, so much of where God's saying. It, it, it may be that he still needs to show you something more in past experiences. And and now, now, warning, we we all know that that can be frustrating, right? You ever sit in some counseling, some talking, where somebody kind of tends to want to keep bringing up the past and nothing frustrates you more than someone bringing up the past? Because there is value a lot of times in, in going back into that. There are times to move on, but those are the right times to move on. Jesus invites them, welcomes them in, into just finding an anchor point, a place to begin. He says, listen, you've got a background. You already know the word in many ways. Start there. Look at what you're seeing and line it up to that. Then just keep listening to me. That's the, so much of the beauty of, of how God presents what a lifetime journey, a faithful walk with him looks like, finding our anchor points, and then starting to grow. Now, at this point... Um, there, there would be nothing seemingly wrong from just ending at that verse and going right into chapter 11. It's, it's a huge thing in chapter 11. Lazarus, a dear friend of Jesus, dies and he calls him back. It, it shows evidence of something Jesus has already said about himself earlier in the book of John. Um, and it, it seems like that would just be a great place to jump in. But John, inspired by God, comes out of this, this illustrative teaching moment and gives us another miniature version of another one before going into that, and, and, I, and I believe it's for great purpose because what, what, we've, what we've heard so far in chapter 10 as we've been reading it has given us some great instruction, um, but, but what we're getting ready to see is going to also give us um, great application um, into the lives of others that we deal with. It says this in verse 40, <clears throat> So he departed again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing earlier, and he remained there. Many came to him and said, John never did a sign, but everything John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. Now, there's evidence in that last statement that many believed in him there, that this was a growing faith community. These were people that were growing in their faith with Jesus, they were gaining um, a closeness in their walk with him that they had not had previously. And it happens in a place where John the Baptist had been preaching. Now, um, I I think people all throughout history, all throughout throughout humanity, we we seem to have some common tendencies. Uh, For one, we don't like to be uncomfortable, right? Right? Um, it's it's why we um, not the other day we were um, in a in a store that had some furniture and so I was just sitting on different pieces of furniture and I, I gravitated to the ones that, that most of us will gravitate to the most comfortable ones. Um, I, I've been through uh, I've been to a few services over the last month, a couple of funerals and some different things like that at different churches and and, I, and I've sat in pews. I used to work for a church that had pews lined up everywhere it seemed like and 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 God bless these chairs right. Like these are more comfortable than stiff, awkward, uncomfortable views. And, and why do we think that? Well, because we kind of as people want to be comfortable. And, and I, I think to some degree that repeats, and, and I can even in my mind, um, I, I can think back to where Jesus would have crossed over to Jordan. Now, again, remember, John's not written in chronological order. Um, it's written for purpose, but when you, when you find the harmony in the Gospels, in other words, you look at single events and how they line up, we can, we can say with much certainty that at this point, John the Baptist, it was after he had been beheaded. So, so John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, who he wept over when he found out that he, was, that he had been killed, um, the one that Jesus said that, that nobody better had ever walked on this planet. Not that he was preferred by God, but, but, but nobody had, had just lived more faithfully than John the Baptist. The, th- this person, Jesus walks across to where his ministry hub was happening. He was baptizing people, he was preaching. And probably because we want to be comfortable, there were probably even uh, tree stumps or logs or different things that people had, had arranged so they could sit and maybe lean back as they listened to John preach. Because when John preached, your body had better been comfortable because your soul was going to be so awkward. Because he preached hard and heavy and long. So as Jesus is just walking around in this area and he's walking through some of the ground where he probably remembers as John was baptizing just locking eyes with his cousin knowing in his cousin John's heart that John looked at him and realized that's the one I've been preaching about. He, he can look down at the Jordan he can see in his mind just as his memory brought it back how John was taking someone that wanted to give their heart to God and live faithfully for him and and baptize them, representing that they were giving up an old life and coming into a new. And in that environment, as Jesus seems to be maybe the one taking all that in, there were some others that started speaking, and this was the message that they said. "So you know what? John never did signs. John didn't do the big um, attention-grabber, attendance-building promotion. They said, you know what, in fact, John just just talked about him, clearly about him. And, And they said, you know what, everything that he said about him has come true. And it says, out of that, hearts began to believe. So how do we we invest well in other people's lives? To entertain them? To gift them to where they're they're flattered or they assume that we love them because of our generosity? Mm -mm. We invest well, we love well when we point people to Jesus. You know, coming into this, I I was thinking uh, this week, not about what I was preaching last year, but I was really trying to think back about what, what was I teaching and speaking on a decade ago? And the things that I remember teaching and doing and and, and lessons and stuff, I I can honestly say um, I'm very glad at this moment I have grown in and I understand much more the importance of just simply pointing people to Jesus for us to fall more in love with him every time we hear his word. There's a place for fun. There's a place for attraction. There's a place for that kind of stuff. God's called us to live a joyful life. But if we're going to go for one thread, one consistency, one absolute that we have to execute, we are much safer and we're much more kingdom-minded pointing our kids to Jesus, our friends to Jesus, our co-workers to Jesus than we are pointing them towards any other piece of advice, event, or circumstance on this planet. Because ultimately, ultimately, When I'm gone, when I'm gone, I trust that Jesus will still be standing in my boys' lives. And whatever fun we had will be good memories. But that fun won't won't make their lives purposeful. It won't won't be what lasts them. It'll be Jesus. Same is true for our church, for our families, our relationships. What's the best thing we can do for people that we love dearly? Husband, wife parent, child, friends, neighbors, whatever. What's the best thing we can do? Point them to Jesus. Because the results of that, the results of that are much better. They're much more real. And then God inspires John to take us into the story of Lazarus. The end of this chapter is, there's a lot in it. There's a lot in it. There's these two beautiful moments where all of the senses were firing. It was, it was hearing and seeing at a, at a peak, which is good for us. It's, 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 it's how we really can discern what God is saying much more clearly. We have much more to compare to each other to say, okay, is this consistently God you? So so really, what are we supposed to take? Like What what are we supposed to take and take away and get for, from, from all this stuff? Well, consider, number one, that Jesus always comes to us with patience, willing to show us, willing to speak to us, knowing us. And he'll position you and me in, in places in life for us to hear better. He, he'll, he'll tell us to, to, to anchor ourselves in what we do know and what we do believe and what we have seen God do because there's more understanding and more growth that we can have. He he tells us you can, you can understand more, you can understand more, you can understand more. He, he it's this, this, this real loving, father, encouraging message. But he also says, if you belong to me, I want you to, I want you to know who you are. I, I know you, and I initiated this between us. I called you, and you responded so you can know my voice. You can follow me. There's a reality to not casually live with Jesus. Our lives don't go on my track, and then maybe maybe Jesus' track will line up, and we'll just find a rhythm together. But, but the track that I am on in life, the things that I do, the conversations I have, just simply are living and following him. And and, and the fruit of that, the assurance of all that, is that that Jesus and God hold me. Not a God that's just distant, a God that understands everything I go through. And Jesus yelled that out over everybody that was angry at him. There is nothing in this world that can happen. There's nothing that God can have his hands in to be dealing with where you still aren't, over and above, important to him, and he will still speak to you through and around and over. He's not too wrapped up with other events. You're still such a huge focus for him. And as his focus, as his focus, find your anchor point, me, find my anchor point. But not just growing myself, realizing that the greatest thing that I can do with anybody in any situation, is just simply point to Jesus. Real results will happen. If I look back, or if I look forward, that helps me see. And, and, I, and I'll be honest with you. Right now, I'm grateful that in my understanding, I hope I'm living it out faithfully, because as God's word calls us to, not just knowing Jesus, but 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 serving him, following him, that those two things unified or our faith lived out. I, I really believe and I hope that what's seen now compared to a decade ago is, is me showing Jesus more because I, I'm really afraid that a decade ago I was probably showing off more of myself when I had opportunities to get attention from people. And I realized that I can't do that. And I hope that in ten more years, or at least in one more year or another month, that it'll still be that same lesson that John said, that in every way I can, I'll figure out how to get smaller, and Jesus will get bigger in what I do. It's a pretty safe approach when we want results. Would you bow your heads just for a moment? Um, In just a second, I'm going to pray. And... um, we're going to take time, and we're we're going to take up our offering and in our service. Um, but I do want you to to know and to and to and, and and to have confidence in that if you are hearing the call of God on your life, then that means He has a purpose and He's active and He's aiming at something. If if you're somebody who who knows you're not saved or you really struggle with with having that confidence, um, I don't want to just I'll be glad to pray with you now at the end of our service, but but I, I don't know that just that one prayer is just going to fix everything, because honestly, for me, it didn't. It took growing, which was more conversations and a little bit more time in God's Word. And I want to tell you that that's what our church family is here for, for each other, for you. And and when you look back a year or back a decade or forward a decade or forward a year or a week... um. I suppose that, that many things that go through your mind are, are good and many things that go through your mind are challenging. But what God's Word has had for us this morning, I hope, has given you some some encouragement in who you are in Him if you know that you're saved. But it's also given you purpose for the people that you see. And it's also encouraged you to find an anchor point if you struggle. If you would say that, you know, I'm I'm not quite there yet. God's Word, is it, as it says, and I often just remind myself, and, I, and I'm reminded of it even just reading it this morning, it's, it's alive and breathing, it's active. God's Word is doing something, and I believe it. it, it did, I know it's done something in my heart this morning, preaching this message twice. I, I pray that it's done something in your soul as well. As I pray, I, I want to I wanna ask God, out loud, to continue to guide us as people, individuals of church, But also, I want want you to know that I don't don't pray in your place. You have an opportunity where you sit to pray to God about what he's speaking to you about. What your need is. The Holy Spirit that guides me, the same Holy Spirit that guides you. We're all accountable to what his message is. So I want to encourage you to pray. To tune me out. To just really pray over what's in your heart and what's in your mind right now. God, thank you so much for the grace that you give us. Thank you for what your word says. God, I pray um, that we have the courage to to follow it and obey it. Um, Lord, I'm thankful that we as individuals have a time right now in our lives in this particular season, this set of the next few days, to, to look back, to look ahead, to look at now. But God, I pray that we don't just do that to evaluate our personal successes or what we've accomplished. But God, we do it in light of what you're calling us to how we can follow you faithfully and how we can walk through this life knowing who holds us and when something else tugs us and pulls us and seems to almost want to jerk us away God from your hands that it just can't and that your hold is secure and that it's unbreakable it's it's, it's tight but it's also comforting so God, thank you for both. Lord, as we pray now, and as we give in a moment, and as we sing, Lord, we pray that this will just be the pattern of our lives as we begin a new season, a new decade, a new year, a new whatever we call it. Lord, that we'll hear your word, we'll consider what our lives are, that we'll look at the circumstances, we'll, we'll seek to hear and, 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 and listen and see. We'll, we'll be givers, we'll be generous to what you put on our hearts. And through the joy that you give us, we'll be people that let that out. And that while we may not have opportunities to sing all week, right now we'll choose to use our joy in our song. And as we leave here, our song will just simply change over to the notes of our lives, conversations, actions, decisions, moments of care, moments of kindness, as we show the love of Jesus to other people. Lord, it's all these things we come to you this morning humbly asking you for trusting in believing praying in the name of Jesus. Amen.